premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Ruciello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God, the King James Bible. And my prayer for you today is the same as it is every day, is that wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform you find yourself listening to this on, that you also find yourself in the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we get into the Bible study this morning, would you please visit our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And then when you get there, there are two things I want you to look for. First, I want you to look for that contact section. And I, I would love to hear whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, any questions or comments, and your prayer requests. So click on that and send us over a message. The second thing I want you to look for is uh, that, that button that says, Support This Podcast. And if the Lord leads you to do so, if you've been praying about it, like I hope you have been, uh, would you consider supporting this ministry on a monthly basis? We've set it up for 99 cents a month, 4.99 a month, and 9.99 a month. But I want you to do it after you prayed about it and if the Lord leads you to do it, okay? And then I'll, I'm going to thank you for it in advance. And uh, I also want to say thank you to all of our current supporters, those of you who, who support us prayerfully, those of you who support us financially already, and of course, to every single one of you, uh, the listeners of the program, because without you, uh, we wouldn't be doing this every week, and I want to thank you so much for it. Um, you're a tremendous blessing to me, and, uh, and I hope this has been a blessing for you. And uh, folks, if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, would you please consider visiting us over at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? We meet at 664 North Monroe Street, and our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m., and our Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. For more information, you can visit the church's Facebook page. Just when you log into Facebook, just look, look for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass, and then once you get there, you're going to find a ton of helpful information, and you'll also find archived episodes of this podcast. And speaking of which, you can also find this podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, and now CastBox. All right, so wherever it is that you're listening, just be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and your followers and help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we have a number of prayer requests that we're going to get into in just a few minutes, and then we're going to get into our study uh, this morning. Uh, so for our prayer requests today, uh, we're still praying for Bernice and for her husband, Adam. Uh, as you know, Bernice is a member of our church here, and uh, she has been battling cancer for quite some time, and she's on a new series of treatments now that seem to be uh, really, really helpful. So uh, we're thankful for that. And uh, so we want to continue to pray for Bernice, and of course we're going to pray for her husband, Adam, and uh, and for uh, for what he has to do and as far as taking care of his family and for his job and for his own health. And uh, we also want to pray for Pastor Martin for his health. Now, Pastor Martin... Uh, he's on a new medication and he's having a hard time adjusting to it. So we want to pray that the Lord will just help him adjust to this new medication. And uh, I think it's for eczema, if I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, and also we have an update for you on uh, his wallet situation. I don't remember if you remember, I had mentioned it, I think last week or the week before, uh, that uh, he had been out street preaching at 88 years old. <laughs> God bless him. 88 years old. He's out street preaching and he thought he lost his wallet. Uh, turns out that it was actually still at home in another pants pocket. So uh, we're thankful that it wasn't lost, and we're thankful that uh, that we were able to find it. So, uh, so we just want to praise the Lord for that. And also, again, pray for Pastor Martin for his health. Uh, of course, we want to pray for my mom for her health uh, and uh, for her salvation, my sister for her salvation, my granddaughter uh, for her salvation, uh, my friend David back in New York uh, for his salvation. And um, what else? We also have... Uh, let's see. We want to pray today for also, let me see. My notes are all messed up here. Um, okay. We got Bernice. All right. So we want to pray for, uh, for a young man named James, uh, who's, uh, dealing with Lyme disease. Uh, we want to pray for a man named Roy for, uh, his walk with the Lord. Uh, we want to pray for, uh, Stephen. Uh, who is uh, adjusting to medication for psoriasis. And we also want to pray for his salvation as well. Um, we also want to pray for uh, Kehlani. Kehlani is, uh, is going for some medical exams, and uh, uh, they seem to be pretty serious. So uh, we want to lift, lift her up in prayer. Uh, we also want to pray for a man named Kurt. I believe he's in Massachusetts. Uh, Kurt's a minister, and uh, so he asked for prayer for his ministry. He also asked for prayer for his health. And he also asked for prayer for baby number three that's on the way. So we'll definitely do that. And then we also want to pray for my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law right now is in the hospital in San Antonio. Uh, he's uh, dealing with some internal bleeding. I'm not exactly sure what the cause is. Uh, my understanding is, is he's going to be having an endoscopy. and uh, But he's not saved, so we want to pray for his salvation. And, of course, we want to pray uh, that the doctors would uh, be able to properly diagnose and treat the problem that he's dealing with. So Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for uh, just all the blessings that you pour out upon us on a daily basis. We want to thank you, Father, for uh, the opportunity to come before the throne of grace and just lay the petitions of our heart at your feet. And Father, this, this evening, we'd like to pray uh, again for Bernice and for Adam. Uh, we want to continue to pray for Pastor Martin, uh, my mom, my sister, my granddaughter, uh, David, for his salvation. We want to pray for uh, for James in dealing with the Lyme disease. We want to pray for Roy and his walk with the Lord. Um, we also want to pray for uh, for my brother-in-law for uh, for uh, his his internal bleeding problem in the hospital in San Antonio. We pray, Lord, for him and for his salvation. And Lord, we want to pray for Kehlani for the medical exams. We think of her tonight. Uh, and we also want to pray for Kurt and for his ministry and uh, for his health and for his his little baby that's on the way, number three. And, Lord, we're thankful for them. And, we're, Lord, we're thankful for all of these folks who have reached out with their prayer requests. And, Lord, we just commit them to you. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. So what we're going to do here is uh, we're going to take a short break like we usually do. So that'll give you a chance to go get your, your coffee, your, your bottle of water, and uh, make sure you grab your King James Bible, because when we come back from this break, we're going to get into today's Bible study on the eight miracles in the Gospel of John, part two. So stay with us, don't go away, and we'll be right back after this. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, 
and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. Hey folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello, and uh, <clears throat> I'm telling you, I'm really excited to get into tonight's study. Um, we are looking at the eight miracles in the Gospel of John. Now, how the, all this started was, uh, two weeks ago, we started with uh, doing a study on Bible types, and we were looking at Joseph as a type of Jesus Christ. And we said that Joseph is a type of Christ in about 150 different ways. And we looked at about 20 or 25 of them. And uh, it was a really a great study. I really enjoyed it. And uh, that kind of moved us into this next study of the eight miracles in John and uh, how these all of these miracles that, that are recorded in this fabulous book are, uh, are pictures or types of things that are yet future. So the first miracle that uh, Jesus performed that was recorded in the book of John was the turning of the water into wine. Okay, and, uh, and as we examined that, we learned that it was pointing to the death of Jesus Christ. And of course, you know, that was a prophecy that appeared many, many times throughout the Old Testament. This was just the realization of it. The second miracle we looked at was the nobleman's son who was healed. Uh, the son was sick at Capernaum, which was a cursed place. And that's a picture of the church age being introduced. Uh, we talked about that and we gave a lot of cross references on it and so on. So if uh, you missed it last week, go back and listen to it again. Uh, so, so you can get caught up. The uh, third miracle that we looked at was in John chapter 5, and it's the impotent man, and that reverts right back to a Jewish emphasis uh, because we saw that it was a time of the Feast of the Jews. It took place in the, at the sheep market. The Hebrew tongue is referred to, and it was on the Sabbath day. This man had an infirmity of uh, 38 years, which indicates that something was about to change. So what this whole event around the impotent man shows us is exactly what Ezekiel 37 shows us when it talks about the valley of the dry bones and the resurrection of Israel as a nation once again in the future. So we got through those three, and uh, now let's begin and look at, ver at number four. So let's go back to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in verse number 5. John 6, verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. 
One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that that prophet should come into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us some understanding here and some clear discernment? Because your book is such an amazing book. On one hand, it's 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 so incredibly simple, but on the other hand, it's amazingly complicated. It's simple in that you've made the gospel very clear and very plain so that even a child can understand it. But you've, uh, you've fortified your book with the power of your Holy Spirit and demonstrating to us that the, this, the, 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 the tapestry of the Word of God is woven together in such a way that without the help of your Spirit, we just couldn't possibly discern it all. So we need that help today, and we ask you for it, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, this is a very interesting miracle, and it's one that appears in all four of the Gospels. So evidently, this is something that the Lord thinks we should know something about. Wouldn't you agree? I think so. Uh, and there are some interesting things here, and we're going to work through it kind of quickly. So uh, let's go over to, uh, to verse number 5, okay? John chapter 6 and verse 5. Um, actually, you know what? Let's back up. I don't want to be in verse 5 yet. Uh, I want to start in verse 3. John chapter 6, verse 3. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. All right, so this whole thing is initiated by Jesus starting on a mountain. At the conclusion of Jesus' ministry on earth, where does he go? At the conclusion of Jesus' ministry on earth, where does he go? Well, he goes to heaven, which is characterized as a mountain. Now, keep your finger here in John and go over with me to Psalm 48. Psalm 48. All right, in uh, Psalm 48, we're going to learn a little bit more about that. Uh, Jesus went to a mountain with his disciples. Now, in Psalm 48 and verse 1, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. So the description goes on, and as you work your way through the psalm, you'll see that heaven is compared to a mountain. So Jesus is not coincidentally or by accident here on a mountain, okay? Uh, there he sits with his disciples. Go over to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. See, what we're doing here is we're setting the stage. All right, Revelation 21. And here's a partial description of heaven. Verse 14. And the wall of the city. Now, the city that's being described here is the heavenly city, the one we just read about in Psalm 48. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So when Jesus goes to this mountain, it's a, it's a picture of Jesus presently being in heaven with his disciples in that great city. But, let, but that's not all. Let's go back to the miracle. All right, uh, verse 5, John 6, verse 5. Jesus said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, this is Philip's answer. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. So he said, 200 penny worth. Now, there are no coincidental numbers in the Bible. Okay? Every number in your Bible has some kind of a meaning or significance. Now, I don't profess to know what they all are, okay? But I have a handle on a few of them. So he said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient. Now, every time the number 200 shows up in your Bible, it's a picture of insufficiency. Every single time. And let me show you a classic example. I mean, I could show you more than this, but then we'd be getting way too far off the track. So go with me over to First Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles chapter 12. In First Chronicles chapter 12, uh, this chapter deals with the tribes that defected to David and formed his army while David was still being sought by King Saul. So here he's a fugitive, okay? Uh, but what, what happens is that more and more of the tribes are defecting to David and the numbers are given tribe by tribe. So when you get to the bottom of this chapter, there are thousands and thousands of warriors that are now accumulated in David's army. Every tribe is contributing several thousand generally. All right, so uh, for example, let's look at verse 37. Verse 37 says, And on the other side of Jordan, the Reubenites and the Gadites, and of the half-tribe of Manasseh, with all manner of instruments of war for the battle, and 120,000. So those two and a half tribes that were on the east side of Jordan sent 120,000 to the army. What's really interesting, though, about this is found in verse 32. Look at verse 32. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. A minuscule contribution, really, compared to the rest of the tribes, right? Tiny. But these guys, these guys possessed something that was very, very desirable. It says they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. So they were thrust into positions of leadership as advisors and so on because they had the ability to figure out the signs of the times. These guys were able to read the movement and the demographic of the people and the economy. They knew what was going on. They knew how to plan and manipulate and figure things out. They were exceptionally bright. But there's also something interesting in the next chapter, chapter 13. And look at verse 1. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Well, wouldn't that include the 200 men of Issachar? Well, sure it would. Sure it would. If we believe that verse 32 of the previous chapter said, And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you that it, that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere, that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So what they had was a unanimous democratic vote. And they all said that this was a great idea. Let's bring the ark back up where it belongs. Skip down to verse 7. 
And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all of their might, and with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and with timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. I mean, they were having the time of their lives, right? They were getting with it. You know, they had a whole band and a procession in front of the ark, and, and they're just going along having a great old time. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. I mean, he just killed this guy. I mean, what's going on here? What's going on? Well, they didn't do it right. You see, they didn't do it right. Well, what is right? Well, the instructions for transporting the ark are given back in the book of Exodus. Do you remember that? There was a ring on every corner of it, and there would be staves, which are poles, and they would go through those rings, and then the priests would have to transport it that way. So what did they do? They made a new cart. You see, they were helping God out. <laughs> they were doing God a big favor, you know? You know, we've modernized our religion. And I wonder where they got the idea for the cart in the first place. Well, if you go back several years, there was a time when the Philistines captured the ark, and it really, it really didn't work out for them. They were smitten with emrods. Now, if you don't know what emrods are, let me just put it this way. Emrods is a serious case for the need of large amounts of preparation H. Okay? So you got the idea? So they were, they were getting smitten with emrods, and finally the Philistines said, man, we've got to get rid of this thing. Let's send the ark back. So what the Philistines did is they came up with the idea of putting the ark on a new cart pulled by oxen. Well, not oxen. I'm wrong. Milk cows. Uh, it was pulled by milk cows. Kine is the word the Bible uses. Uh, milk cows with calves on them. And they said that if they go ahead and leave their calves, then this whole thing is of God. And they did and so on. And, and, and uh, it's an interesting story. It really is. Uh, it's a very interesting story in and of itself. So off they went. And now some of these guys remembered that, and they said that if the Philistines sent it on a cart, well, so can we. Do you know what so much of the church is doing today? So much of the church today is just copying the Philistines, and there's no power in that at all. They departed from what God said. Now here's the point, okay? Here's the point, and we're going to move on. The point is this. All of these super bright guys, all of these Harvard and Princeton and Yale graduates, you know, MBAs from the Harvard Business School and, and all that. And, you know, not one single objection. Not one. When they said, let's modernize this act a little bit. Not one. Not one objection. You know what that shows us? That shows us the insufficiency of human education and human reasoning and human logic it's totally insufficient. You need something more than any of those things. You need the wisdom of God. And not one of these guys stood up and said, hey, you know, David, I remember back when I was in Sunday school, you know, as I recall, only the priests are supposed to move the ark and, and they're supposed to carry it on their shoulders. They consented without objection to this whole thing. So it's a demonstration of the insufficiency of human wisdom without the instruction of God. Now, there are several occasions where the number 200 shows up in your Bible, and every single time, it's a demonstration of insufficiency. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, 
Well, Joe, what does that got to do with the future? You said that every one of these miracles in John projects something into the future. Well, it does. It does. And here it is. Israel, in the latter days, is just busting its neck to prepare themselves. I mean, I mean, they are modernized as much as they know how to be modernized. There's a lot of conjecture out there that Israel has weapons that no one else understands or knows about. And, you know, if you study your Bible, you, you know that God gave the Israelites the ability to make money and the ability to understand weaponry. I mean, the atomic bomb was invented by a Jew. The hydrogen bomb was invented by a Jew. The neutron bomb was invented by a Jew. And, you know, I, I heard somewhere, and I don't know if this is true or not. I would like to think it is. It would be interesting. But I heard somewhere that they have an Uzi now that shoots around corners, right? I mean, they have a unique God-given ability in that area. And they've prepared themselves, and they've prepared themselves, and they're as, as prepared as they can possibly be. And they're working, and they're working to be prepared. But you know something? All the preparation in the world all the preparation in the world from a human standpoint is insufficient because one day the Antichrist is going to beleaguer them to the point where they're going to flee and run to Sela Petra and eat them. They're going to be hiding in the caves and in the mountains and the rocks. Jesus said it would be that way in Matthew chapter 24. But there's something else that's going on. Take your Bible and go to the book of Micah. The book of Micah. Micah chapter 7. That would be page uh, 1,355 in my Bible, if that helps. <laughs> I'm actually using a new Bible. I'm using uh, uh, the Common Man's Reference Bible. Man, this is a good Bible. This and Dr. Ruckman's uh, study Bible, two of the probably best study Bibles I've ever seen. I highly recommend them. If you can get them, get them. Uh, but we're in the book of Micah. and uh, I mean, I know it's not a book that you just refer to every day, so I'll give you a minute to get there. It's probably not one of those books that you use when you're out there soul winning, right? Micah chapter 7. Uh, now, this chapter is a chapter on prophecies and the tribulation and the second advent. That's what it's about, all right? Now, in verse 14, Micah chapter 7, verse 14. Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and in Gilead as in the days of old. According to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. Okay, so uh, there's going to be a future feeding based on the picture or the type of is when God brought Israel out of Egypt. Okay, well, how did he feed them? Well, miraculously, right? He fed them manna miraculously. So what's being hinted here is that that's going to happen again. The miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is just a mirror or a picture of a future feeding. Now go over to the book of Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. You know, the armies of the world are going to gather together to fulfill the dream of Iran and annihilate the Jewish people. And then they're going to flee into the wilderness and God is going to miraculously feed them. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 35 says, And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people. And there will I plead with you face to face, like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I plead with you, saith the Lord God. And so it's during that time of pleading that Israel finally, as Jesus Christ is ultimately revealed to them in a very visible kind of way, they experience their national conversion. So the feeding of the 5,000 is simply a picture of something yet to come. Now, do you remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Temptation? 
when he launched his ministry by being tempted of the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights. And then the devil approached him and he said, hey, you've got to be hungry, you know, 40 days, 40 nights. Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? But Jesus wouldn't do it. And when you stop to think about it, would there be anything innately wrong with Jesus? I mean, he fed others miraculously, no? Why couldn't he just pick up a rock and say, oh, rock, become bread? He could have. Right thing, wrong time. Right thing, wrong time. So the Lord is going to miraculously provide for Israel in that tribulation time when they're being sought after and people are trying to destroy them. Okay? So the next miracle we're going to look at is in John chapter 6. We're going to have to move on. Uh, John chapter 6. Let's see. I'm probably not going to get through everything that I want to today. So this will probably be a three-parter. So we'll have to pick it up next week. But... um, I don't think that's a problem, do you? Hope not. Okay, now here's a great story. All right, John chapter 6. Here's another great story. I mean, I love this story. I really do. I mean, I love them all, but this is just a fun story. All right, John chapter 6 and verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Well, there's that mountain thing again, right? Now, Jesus said, you know, they want to make me a king, but Jesus refused to be a king. But but what's wrong with Jesus being a king? Well, right thing, wrong time. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to be a king. This time it says he departed again into a mountain himself alone. All right, next verse, verse 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. So the disciples are fishermen. Okay, they're going to work at night. Verse 17, and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not coming to them. So here are the disciples laboring in the night and Jesus appears to be absent. Not there. The disciples are out there fishing at night. Now the church age, the age in which you and I live, is compared to night. The four watches of the night, Mark tells us about in Mark chapter 6. And the church is characterized by the moon. The sun is the Godhead. God in Malachi chapter 4 is pictured in the sun. The sun, capital S-U-N, with righteousness in his wings. So the sun is the Godhead. The moon in Song of Solomon is the church. You know, it took science centuries to figure it out. But Job, the oldest book in your Bible, said, The moon giveth no light of itself. The moon simply reflects the light of the sun. It doesn't generate light. It reflects light. You and I can't generate light. We can only reflect it. I mean, that's all we can do. So it's pictured as the moon. Okay, so the disciples are going, and they're working at night and headed toward Capernaum. Now, we studied last week that Capernaum is a cursed place. So they're in a cursed environment, a cursed world. They're moving closer and closer to a place that's cursed, and it's dark, waiting for Jesus to show up. Verse 18, and the sea rose, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. Now, the wind pictures the Holy Spirit, of course, but the wind also pictures troublous times, because what's it doing? Well, it's kicking up a lot of obstacles, right? It's kicking up a lot of waves. You see what I mean? 
So they're facing considerable difficulty in these last days that parallels what Paul said. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. So in these last days, you have to expect some contrary winds. You have to expect it. Verse 19. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs. Now, on that, I had to stop for a minute. I had to think about that. I had to dwell on it a little bit. Well, why? Well, I mean, the Bible's a very exact book. But this is not an exact statement. It says about five and 20 or 30 furlongs. Well, why didn't the Holy Spirit just split the difference and say 27 and a half furlongs? You know, average it. Why 25 or 30? Well, you know what? Then it hit me. After rowing and rowing and rowing and only being able to guess at their progress. I mean, these guys are professional fishermen. They've spent their lives on the Sea of Galilee doing just that. I mean, they could probably tell you within a quarter of a mile where they were and how far they'd gone simply based upon how much rowing they had done. But all of a sudden, they faced this very, very difficult wind, so the best they could do was guess. I mean, did you ever do that? Did you ever just kind of guess at your progress? Well, that's what's being pictured here. I think I'm making progress, but I'm not sure. And about that time, they're confused. They're beleaguered. They're facing this great wind. About that time, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up walking on the water. But wait a minute. Jesus was just on a mountain. Doesn't that Bible teach us this, that, that there was a day when the entire universe as we know it was one giant basin of water, one giant sea? Over in Genesis chapter 1, God divided the waters from the waters. Isn't that what it says? And the midst thereof, he called the firmament. Now, the firmament is the heavens as we know them today. You got the constellations, the galaxies, the stars, they're in the firmament. But at the top of this firmament, see, God divided the waters from the waters. So at the top of this firmament, there's water. And above this water is the throne of God. It's heaven. Now, that's confirmed by a variety of things that we study in the Bible. Uh, number one, out before the throne of God in the book of Revelation, it's called a sea of glass like unto glass. The sea at the top and the bottom of the firmament is called the great deep, and it's frozen. It's a frozen great deep. In the book of Job, the devil calls the, the devil is called Leviathan. And do you know what a, what a Leviathan is? Well, a Leviathan is a sea monster. Now, if you read very many sporting magazines every now and then, that word is still used by sports writers. Now, I'm not talking about football or baseball. I'm talking about hunting and fishing. Now, the devil has limited access to the throne of God to this day because he's called the accuser of the brethren. And that Bible says that he goes up through that frozen deep to accuse you and I. And he makes it boil like a pot of ointment. So in other words, that guy is so hot that he can go right through that frozen sea and it just melts in front of him. Now, in this miracle, Jesus is on a mountain and all of a sudden he's walking on the water. Well, that's got to be a prelude to something else. And as he approaches the disciples who are in their boat, and they're afraid. And you know, you get more input in the other Gospels about this, but they're scared to death. And these guys have been on that lake all of their lives, and they've never seen anything like they're experiencing. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and says, be not afraid. 
But it's a season for fear, isn't it? They are afraid. You know, more and more, as you talk to folks, you hear that coming out of their mouths. You know, it's, it's a season of fear. You know, with what's going on, it's a season of fear. You know, people are afraid. People are afraid of the economy. They're, people are afraid of the government. They're afraid of taxes. They're afraid of health care. It's just, you know, viruses. It's just fear, fear, fear. That's what dominates the conversation of the world today. And about that time, Jesus shows up and says, it is I, be not afraid. Well, what else is going on here? Verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship. Now, this is the mind blower, okay? This is the mind blower. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Not 60 miles per hour, not 80 miles per hour, not 100 miles per hour. Immediately. Well, how fast is that? Well, that's pretty fast, don't you think? Immediately they arrived at their destination. You know what that thing is a picture of, don't you? Do you get it? That's the it's a picture of a rapture. That's exactly what's going on. So here's Jesus on a mountain. All of a sudden, he's walking on a sea. He comes to the disciples that are full of fear, and he says, don't be afraid. They received him into the ship, and whoosh, off they go, and arrive at their destination immediately. Immediately. Now, chronologically, this is a little bit more difficult to explain, but I'm going to give it my best shot, Okay. So don't send me hate mail. Give my best shot. Miracle number one pictures the death of Christ. Miracle number two points to the church age. Miracles three, four, and five go right back to tribulation stuff. Isn't the rapture before the tribulation, though? Is is this miracle out of sync? You know, maybe we got it wrong. Well, here's the deal. A lot of folks get confused because they don't understand that there's more than one rapture. There's more than one. See, what you've got here in the book of John is this. You've got a book of transition. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are almost exclusively directed toward Israel and activities that surround Israel and so on. But you get to the book of John, and it has almost a totally different feel to it. You don't read in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you must be born again. You get that in John. You don't read, I know my sheep, they hear my voice, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. In Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, only John. You don't read, I am the vine, you are the branches, in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but you get it in John. And let me show you something else about John. Go over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. See, Jesus is starting to hint. He started to hint. Now, now, as we know, in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch goes up, right? And then much later, Elijah goes up. When you get over to the last book of your Old Testament, the last thing the Jewish people have to hang on to, Enoch isn't mentioned. But Elijah is. Elijah and Moses. Malachi chapter 4. That's where the emphasis is. So they're still in the dark about any type or picture that Enoch may be presenting. But Elijah is pretty clear to them. If they had really studied their Old Testament and studied something about Elijah, they may very well be anticipating something very similar to what happened to Elijah. Elijah got raptured, right? Right? Don't you remember what they said about, about uh, to John the Baptist? They said, who are you? Are you Elijah? 
They asked him that because they were anticipating the return of Elijah. They were curious about it. But John had to say, no, I'm not him. But interestingly, and this, this is a whole other lesson, but interestingly, he could have been. He could have been in fulfillment of everything that Elijah needed to be. He could have fulfilled that prophecy. Another lesson, another time. Okay, so they're still ensconced in Old Testament doctrine and theology. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, for the most part, is still directing our attention toward that. Now, Matthew is just wall-to-wall, kingdom of heaven, Jewish theology. Mark and Luke, we get a little bit more, you know, they, they start to very cautiously illuminate our minds and hearts that there, there could be something else on the burner. But when you get to John, watch out. Watch out. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, you don't read anything even similar to that over in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's a whole new theological bent. It's brand new. Do you, know, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10 when he commissioned his disciples to go out and minister throughout the land? He said, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. He said, you go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He gave them that exclusive commandment. Your ministry is to the Jews. But the same Jesus, when we get to John, is saying, I have some other sheep that you don't know anything about. Well, gee, I wonder who that is. I wonder who that is. Well, that's us. That's us. So this thing is a picture of a rapture. Immediately, the boat reaches its destination. And don't you know, you know, practically speaking, that that must have been quite a ride. Right? That, I mean, that really must have been quite a ride. I mean, I, I can't imagine that the disciples ever forgot that. 20 years later, they were probably talking about that. Hey, do you remember the time that Jesus got in the boat? And, and I mean, even though the rapture seems kind of out of sequence, it really isn't. The chronological setting suggests a tribulation rapture. But the thing has a dual application like so many scriptures do. And the Lord's going to take you out if you're saved at the end of the church age which is where we are now. But he's going to take a bunch of Jews out toward the end of the tribulation. Now, you are the bride. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. Did you ever stop and think about a wedding? Did you ever really stop and think about it? You know, some weddings, that's all there is, the bride and the bridegroom. But a real Christian wedding, you have guests. Well, you find those guests in Matthew 23. You have bridesmaids. You have them in Matthew 25. You have a best man. You find him in John chapter 3. And then you have friends. You find them in Song of Solomon. Every group of people or individual that takes part in a wedding is found in that book. You know, we've got a lot of traditions connected with weddings. Did you ever wonder about them? I mean, real traditions. I'm talking about real, formal, big deal weddings. Have you ever been to one of those? I've been to a few of those in my life. I went to one once where there were there were ten bridesmaids and ten groomsmen. And the groomsmen all had those those long tail coats, white gloves, and uh, you know, the bridesmaids, they were all decked out beyond description, you know. The bride and groom went away in a horse drawn carriage, you know, the whole deal, the whole deal. They had a string orchestra playing. I mean, I could not even imagine what all that cost then. I can only imagine what it would cost now. 
But when you start to think about it, you know, you go to a wedding like that and all those traditions are in place. You know, you walk in there and, and uh, uh, there are people there, they're, they're ushers and they're there to greet you. And what's the first thing they're going to ask you when you get there? The first thing they're going to ask you is to sign the book, right? Well, why is that? Well, because later on, someone's going to ask, is their name in the book? And that Bible calls it the Lamb's Book of Life. And then the next thing they're going to ask you is, are you a friend of the groom or a friend of the bride? And depending on how you respond determines on which side of the church you sit on. Does that have a biblical precedence? Yes, it does. It certainly does. And all of these personalities, I mean, you could even find the ring bearer and the flower girl in that Bible. But there aren't 50 couples in America that are getting married in 2022 that have any clue where these traditions that they're subscribing to came from. Well, they come right from that Bible. It's an amazing book. It's incredible when you stop to think about it. It really is. And, you know, it's it's kind of a neat thing to see a fine young Christian couple that want to get married and do it all the right way, and they do it that way. You know, um, it's, it's just, it's it's really a neat thing. And I had the privilege of seeing that when, um, when, uh, when Angel and, and, uh, and, uh, her husband got married and, uh, it was a real blessing to be, to be there to see that. And, uh, you know, it was just, it's just, it's just amazing. It's a neat thing. It really, really is fine Christian couple. Father, would you add your blessings? I pray to the teaching of your holy word. We're thankful for it. And we look forward to continuing our study next week in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, uh, that's pretty much all the time we've had. We have for today. We have gone pretty far, pretty far. And uh, so I really hope that you found this study to be a blessing, uh, this study to be a blessing to you. I'm getting tongue-tied now. Um, And uh, looking really forward to getting back to you guys next week. So uh, pay visit to the website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Send us over a message. uh, Pray, and as the Lord leads you to help, Uh, contribute to the podcast uh, and we would appreciate that and uh, thank you so much for each and every one of you for being involved by tuning in every week and for your prayers and for all that you do thank you so much and until we see each other again next week this is Joe Ruciello may God bless you and have a great great day take care You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day. Well, that's about it, really. The film ends mainly visually.